You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. In the middle of November, we're going to study the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke in preparation for Christmas. So what I want to do now in order for us to receive the gift of Jesus is a six-week study on the last book of the Old Testament. So the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, is written to prepare people for the first Christmas. It is God's word, his final word in the Old Testament, to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. And after Malachi, there is silence for 400 years. And so it is God's way of saying, Jesus is coming, prepare your hearts And then we're going to pick up the story with the birth of Jesus in the New Testament. That's in November. So we're going to start Malachi today. Malachi 1.1 seems like a good place to start. What a novel approach. Here's how Malachi's prophecy opens. A prophecy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. So this is to God's people. God ultimately is speaking He's the Lord, and then the messenger, the one who's delivering the mail, is a man by the name of Malachi. And so Malachi is going to reveal the father heart of God, and it's God's intent to build a relationship with you so that you can have a healthy relationship with him and therefore healthy relationships with family and friends as well. That's where Malachi is going. So God has a burden for his people. And as a result, he has a word for them. You see, God cares about his people. So ultimately, when God speaks, it is the word of God. Now, this is significant because this book is unlike any book that's ever been or ever will be written. There are lots of words out there about God and philosophy and religion and speculation. But this is not a word about God. This is the word of God. And when we open it, we receive a word from the Lord. This is very important because what Malachi is claiming is that the word of the Lord is what we're going to hear. So as God is communicating to us, we are hearing from God. You are receiving a message, a revelation, an instruction from God as you open his word. All that to say, when we open this particular book from the prophet Malachi, you're going to learn a lot about God, but you're going to learn very little about Malachi. He doesn't tell us about his parents, his, his history, his pedigree. We virtually know nothing about this man. Here's why. Because it's about God and God's relationship with his children. So we've got the introduction. Here's the word of the Lord. God is going to speak to his people. And the good news is as we open the word of God, we receive a word from God. God speaks to them And he wants to speak to you. Now, here's what's important to consider. After that opening statement of here's a prophecy from from the Lord through Malachi, what are God's first words? Because, you know, when there's a relationship, how we start a conversation oftentimes determines 
its conclusion. So here's what I want you to know. God speaks, God initiates, and God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. So God starts with love. But these people, as you're about to see, are going to try to coax God into conflict, into controversy. As you read this book, God is going to take some of their accusations against him and he's going to answer them. But he's not going to answer them by attacking them. He's going to answer them by loving them. Here's what I need you to know. If you're angry with God, he can handle it. If you have questions for God, he can handle those. That in this instance, God is like a lightning rod. God's people, they're not atheists, but they're angry. They're they're frustrated. And, And God grounds out their storm. He's loving them. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Now, how many of you have a child, whether small or grown, and sometimes they accuse you of things that are untrue? God here is a father, and they're accusing him of not loving them. In fact, as we read the book, they're going to end up saying things like, God, you don't love us. You don't bless us. You love and bless wicked people who are our enemies. And as a result, we have no use for you. We judge you. You We have found you to be a failed father. This is a strong statement from God's people. And it comes from a place of hurt. They're hurting financially. Their economy is collapsing. They're hurting politically. They're a little nation getting kicked around by other nations. They're hurting morally. They have decided they have a right to rebel against God. And they're hurting spiritually. Even some of their preachers, their Bible teachers, have created a theology where God is a failure. You know, people are a product of their instruction. And these people are hurting. And rather going to their leaders, their religious leaders are getting clarity, they're getting confusion. And ultimately what these bad Bible teachers are saying is, God is a failure. And what this is, this is an inversion of the storyline of the Bible. You see, the storyline of the Bible is that God is good, that we have failed. God judges us and we need forgiveness. They've inverted that to where they are good, God is bad, God has failed. Therefore, they sit in a seat of judgment. They determine and decree that God is wrong, God needs to repent, and God needs to apologize, and then maybe we'll forgive God for his failure. How many of us, when we're hurting, start accusing God of failing? Now, what God is going to do is something that's very significant. Because God is a father. We're going to get a lot of parenting and grandparenting lessons from this book. Here's one. Connect before you correct. Now, in the rest of the book of Malachi, God is going to correct. But what he does first is he connects. Think of it this way. Think that there is a a large chasm between two points. And you have to build a bridge to get from one side to the other. 
And you need to make sure that bridge is strong enough to carry the weight of the load that you plan to travel across it. Well, if God's people are here and God is here, he needs to build a relationship that can carry the load of his truth and correction. That's why some of you, you need to understand that ultimately about building a relationship with someone is to where they know that you love them and care for them and have their best interest at heart. And then that can become a bridge over which you carry correction and instruction. Too often we load up too much correction and information and we've not built that bridge of love and trust. And as a result, Halfway through a conversation, things collapse and they'll no longer want to listen because they don't trust you and your love for them. We connect before we correct. And that's exactly what God is demonstrating and modeling here. So ultimately what they do, they have accusations about God that are unfounded and untrue and they deliver them in the form of questions. So they go to God and they're like, why are you evil? Why are you failing us? Why are you mean? Why are you not good to us? Those aren't really questions. Those are accusations. And here are a couple things you need to know about God from Malachi. Number one, God is a father. In chapter one, verse six, we'll see this next week. He says, I am a father. In chapter two, verse 10, he says, I'm the only father. Because some people are like, can we get a new dad? No, we've got to deal with the one that we have. So think of people like his kids that are throwing a fit, having a tantrum, and God is like a father who's dealing with his rebellious kids. Number two, God knows what his kids are saying, doing, and thinking. God is not a father who is uninvolved and non-relational, He's paying attention and he comes and he says, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're saying. I know what you're doing. I mean, how many of you moms are like that? A good mom has a spidey sense, right? She says, I know what you're thinking. And she does, right? God's like, he knows what his kids are thinking and saying and doing. God pays attention. Number three, God calls a family meeting. So as you read the book of Malachi, think of it like this. God is a father. His children are his family. And when there's a problem in the family, God calls together a family meeting to pull the family together. Number four, God meets us where we are to bring us where he wants us to be. The children of God, young and old in this story, they're not where they're supposed to be. They're not giving, they're not serving, they're not worshiping, they're not praying, they're not caring. They're blaming God and they're all retweeting, hashtag God fails. I mean, these are horrible kids. And what God does is he meets them where they are to walk them to where he wants them to be. He's saying, you're not where you're supposed to be, but through a relationship, I will walk you through influence and love to where you need to be. And then number five, I already said this earlier, God starts with love. You know, all healthy relationships have to start with love. This is very different for those of you who may not know from every other religion in the world. 
Really, you can break down all religions into two categories. Those that are based on works and Christianity, which is based on grace. All other religions teach works. That is, if you perform, I'll love you. If you obey, I'll be your parent. God says, because I'm your parent, I will love you to change you. Jesus says it this way, I love you, and if you love me, you will obey me. The loving relationship leads to a change in behavior. Some of you perhaps grew up in a performance-based relationship where your parents are like, if you do good, I'll love you. If you don't do good, I will punish you and I will cut off my relationship with you. God comes and says, I love you. No strings, no conditions. You see, God's love forgives your sins and stops you from committing more. God's love changes you to be more like him. So they ask the question, how have you loved us? And God said, well, let me tell you how I've loved you. And then he proceeds to tell them in verses two to four. He says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? How many of you didn't see that coming? (laughs) How do do I know you love me, God? Well, Jacob and Esau were brothers. Okay, that that really clears up a lot. Thank you, Father. (laughs) You're like, no, what does that mean? Remember, they know the Old Testament. And what he's talking about is their family. And it's his way of saying, not only have I loved you, I have loved your crazy family for generations. How many of you, now that makes sense. How many of you have a crazy family? Okay, don't raise your hand because they may be next to you. Was not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Uh Uh-oh. You're like, God hates people? We'll see if we can flesh this out in a little bit. And I have turned his, that is Esau's hill country, into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, now this is the nation that comes out of Esau. Though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. This is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. There are always some people who say, I don't need God. I will be my own God. I will build my own life. And even if it fails, I will rebuild it. And God says, you're fighting me. And I guarantee you, you will not win. What he's talking about here is their family history. And he's going all the way back. You know, Malachi that we're reading is the last book of the Old Testament. He goes all the way back to the first book of the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 25, part of the storyline of a man named Abraham. The story of Abraham is this. He comes from a godless nation. His dad was a pagan worshiper of false gods and God comes down and says I pick Abraham not because Abraham is good but because God is good 
And God makes a promise to Abraham, and he says, through you will come Jesus Christ, the Savior of the nations, the forgiver of sin, the Son of God. We think that's amazing. So Abraham is chosen by grace, and he's not even a Jew yet. He's a Gentile. Now, Abraham has a wife, Sarah, and they have a son named Isaac. Through their son, Isaac, are Abraham's grandsons, twin boys, Jacob and Esau. They start wrestling and fighting in their mother's womb. They are two very different boys, as the story would play out. But hear me in this, they are both bad boys. And God is going to pick one through whom he will work to get the line of the nation of Israel and ultimately Jesus, our Savior. So let me just briefly talk about these two. So Esau, is he a bad guy? Yeah, he is. And, and later in life, he has this birthright as the firstborn, and this is significant. And he takes and he trades that birthright for what? What do you remember? <laughs> Porridge, bowl of soup, right? That's pretty telling. It's like somebody coming and saying, okay, how important is your family and your legacy and inheritance to you? And they say, I don't know, but not as important as a bowl of soup. Well, either you're not a very honoring person or you really like soup, but either way, there's a problem. And then there's Jacob. Anybody know what his name means? <laughs> Deceiver. Yeah, deceiver, trickster. And you could read throughout Genesis and you see story after story of how that plays out. You know, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, how come God doesn't work through the good guys? Because there are no good guys. That's where grace comes in. So God chooses to work with Jacob. Through him comes the nation of Israel whom God has chosen and Jesus is coming. Through Esau is another nation, Edom. And the Edomites are the opponents and enemies of God's people. So not only do these two boys fight and are at war in the womb, but the nations that derive from them are at war on earth. So here's the big idea. Jacob gets grace. Esau gets what he deserves. In Malachi, God is saying, I have preferred Jacob, not Esau. Both were bad. But I give grace to one and let the other experience the consequences of his decision-making without intervening. And this, of course, leads to all kinds of questions. Why does God choose some people and not others? Have you ever had that conversation or debate? Well, in the New Testament, there's a man named Paul, and he writes a book of the Bible called Romans, and he, in that letter to the Romans actually quotes from Malachi this very phrase, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. So when Paul writes Romans, he chooses a part of it to make a commentary on Malachi. And here's what's important. When you're struggling with a piece of scripture, one of the best things that you do is use scripture to interpret scripture. So Malachi has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, perfectly inspired. 
The Apostle Paul, also perfectly inspired by the Holy Spirit. But we want to see what Malachi said through the lens of the Apostle Paul. So the whole context of Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 is this. How does anyone enter into a relationship with God? Do you pick God or does God pick you? How does this work? Because in every relationship, someone chooses and someone responds. So who is it that initiates this relationship? Is it God or is it us? Well, the Apostle Paul tells a story in Romans chapter 9. Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand. Now, there are these words, elect, election, chosen, choose, appointed, predestined. They're all in your Bible. And it means that God not only knows the future, but that he decrees it and oversees it. In order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, in other words, not what you do, but what God does. By him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. You see, in that, first, in that culture, the firstborn was in a position of priority. That's Esau. However, through election, it's said that the younger, that's Jacob, will then become in the position of the head of the family when the dad dies. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What are we to say then? That God is unjust? Not at all. What he's saying is this. There are two boys, both bad God worked through one, brought Jesus as the forgiver of sin and the savior of the world. The other, God just let Esau get what he wanted and all of his descendants to go their own way. Here he intervened, here he did not intervene. And then the question is, does that make God unjust? And the answer is fairly self-evident. Between Jacob and Esau, which of them deserves to go to heaven? Neither. You and I need to start with that presupposition. You and I, we all deserve nothing but hell. And when you accept that, you become grateful for everything else. You know, we have a culture of entitlement where everyone thinks that not only should they go to heaven, but we should be experiencing heaven right here, right now, meaning life should be easy. And as a result, we say foolish things about God like he's not loving, he's not present, he's not gracious, the Bible's not true, he's unreasonable. All of these horrible things we think and say about God, and the truth is everyone deserves nothing. As Americans, we need to wrap our mind around that because I think that will breed in us an attitude of gratitude. Think about this. If God sent everyone to hell, would that be unjust? No. Think about what happens to criminals. They get convicted, they go to jail. That is not unjust. 
Actually, that's the definition of justice. Guilty people get tried, convicted, sentenced. That's not injustice. That's justice. And let me say this. What happens if I sin against you? You want justice. But if you sin against me, you want forgiveness. But we all do that to each other. We're a bunch of hypocrites. So this leads to a a series of more questions. Is it unloving for God to choose some people and not others? What do you think? Well, here's what's interesting. When God talks about predestination or, or chosen or elect, he's also talking about love. Back to Malachi, God says, I have loved you. You say, how have you loved us? And he says, I love you by choosing you. The Apostle Paul says it this way in his letter to the Ephesians. For he chose us, there's that word again, in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us. There's another way of saying elect, chosen, predestined. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Let me try to help you understand this. We've all seen fathers adopt a child. It's happened here. But have you ever seen a child adopt a father? It's not the way it works. A child never adopts a father. Right now, no kid can go and fill out paperwork to adopt a father. Who fills out the paperwork? It's the father. So if you are a child of God... It's not because you adopted God, it's because he's adopted you. And the fact is, once you are adopted by him, that means he loves you. And in Malachi, here are his children sitting on his lap, screaming, freaking out, cursing him, saying, you don't love us. And God, in essence, says, I'm your dad. I'm still here. I promise you, I love you. And I'm not just going to love you, I'm going to change you because that's the kind of dad I am. I didn't pick you because you all were awesome kids. I picked you because you needed a dad. That's the father heart of God. Now in closing, Malachi 1, 5. You will see it with your own eyes. This is, this is a promise. This is part of that prophecy. And you will say, Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. You know what? If God chooses, then an unborn child can be chosen of God. If God chooses, then someone in a closed nation who hasn't heard can be chosen of God. If God chooses, then not just one nation, but all the nations can be invited to the kingdom of God. And if it is God who chooses, then God can choose the worst, most vile, most evil. A man like Saul who was murdering Christians until he met the Lord Jesus and became the Apostle Paul. Even a man like me, sinful to his core, foolish, rebellious, choosing death time and time again. And I'm happy to report that God made a choice to override my choice and he's chosen to save me. And let me tell you this, great is the Lord. 
And the promise here is, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Where are we today? We are 2,500 years later, beyond the borders of Israel. We are here to testify, in fact, that this statement is true. God has saved people from every nation. God has saved some of the worst people and made them his children. God has saved people who are far from him and drawn them near to him. And if you're here today and you belong to God, or or you have a stirring in your heart with God as your Father and Jesus as your Savior, you want that relationship, then you need to understand great is the Lord. You may not know it. You may not see it. You may not believe it. But you are headed toward death and destruction. And if you're a believer, that means God has made his choice. And you are loved and you are saved and you are blessed and you are adopted and you are protected and you are provided for. Great is the Lord. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.